Hebrews chapter number 13. We're going to begin in verse number 8. We're going to read down to verse number 13. Hebrews 8, excuse me, 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. We have an altar, whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the camp or the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Now, our fathers, we break open your word again tonight. What a privilege it is for us to read it, to study it, to learn it. Lord, we do realize it is not just for knowledge's sake. It is to understand you, Lord, and what you have done and your expectations of us as Christians. Father, we are thankful this day what you've already done. We thank you for decisions that were made this morning. And Lord, we again want to pray for them that you will strengthen them now. And as we have even read here in this text, that their hearts will be established with grace. Help them, Lord, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, you'll do the job of teaching and instructing us tonight. And again, thank you for this opportunity and this privilege to share your word in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse number 8, we have that uh, very familiar portion of Scripture of Jesus Christ. And he is the one who is consistent or immutable, does not ever change because he is the same yesterday and today and forever. Psalm 102 and verse 27 talks about God, the eternal one that is always the same. Look at James chapter number 1 and verse number 17, another verse that goes along with it. Just probably about one page over for you. James 1 and verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, now notice this phrase, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Our God is immutable. There's a whole message I have on that. I didn't want to preach that one tonight. But when you study out the things that are consistent with our God, as far as back as man has been in, our God is eternal. We've been talking about the doctrines of our God on Wednesday nights, and our God being eternal always has been, meaning Jesus as well as the Spirit of God always have been. God has always been. That there have been things, though, since man has been, been created, that we have been seeing God work. That's where the James comes in. The gifts, the things that come from God to man, it doesn't change. There's no turning with God. And, and let's, let's get our minds thinking a little. I know it's a Sunday night, and let me get you thinking just a little bit, though. Has, is there times in the Scriptures that God changed His mind? The answer is, yeah. Uh, you'll see that real quick in Genesis chapter number 6, right? It repented God that He had made man, and the flood came. There were times that God was going to bring judgment on people, but because he gave them that chance to change, like a Nineveh and Israel and other places, then God changed his mind in what he was going to do. And we understand that pattern with our God. 
But there are things that God is dealing with in the gifts and in, in the, in the consistency. You'll remember last week we talked about how the minister uh, talks about whose faith follow. The leadership is to be followed. And now we see Jesus as the premier example of the one to follow because of his consistency. He's always the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Definitely talking about our Lord Jesus Christ and he being eternal. Always has been when you look back and right now the same as well as in the future. He will always be consistent. And there are a lot of things you could talk about with the consistency of God. And the preacher can get off and preach whatever he wants to preach on there. Uh, some of the th- things that I talk about, though, in one message is the plan of salvation. God never changes his mind concerning the gift of salvation to man. It's always been the same. Now, I was on the phone with a guy this week, and he said, Hey, my sister is going to a church. Yeah, I can't remember what state it is in. He, she said, but she's going to this church that's, uh, well, they, they don't think anything that uh, is out of, of Pauline uh, writings are, are for us. And they get into these things and, and different doctrines. And, and he says, what do you know about it? I said, I'll tell you all about it because I had one in my church one time. And I studied them out deep by detail. And it's a hyper-dispensationalist. And these guys, what they will do is as they are dissecting the Word of God, as we know we're to do in, in 2 Timothy 2.15, but, but they're doing it to, to, to the demise of, of sound doctrine because what they teach is that the up through the time of Christ, that man was not saved by faith but by the works of the law. Now, faith was kind of along with it, but it was the works of those sacrifices. And then when Jesus came on the scene, now it is, it is only by Jesus Christ. Well, if you look at Romans in chapter 4, and I could give you a host of other places like the book of Hebrews, you will see that Jesus Christ is the sacrifice. He was the body, as Hebrews 10 tells us, that God was looking for. Those Old Testament sacrifices were just the shadow. Right? I woke you up. Thank you, Stan. You just woke us up. You know what happens when you amen a preacher? They preach longer. So never amen the preacher at the end of the service. He'll just go on another ten minutes. So, 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 so here are these, these, these concepts, and, and really, you know, it's basing it on works. And when you study, you know, um, the Romans 4, and you see what Abraham, Abraham, even before the law, what did he find pertain to the flesh? That if man's justified by the works of the law, then, then, then of course faith is void, basically. You see that in Romans also. And then it goes on, dealing with Abraham, to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. That faith counted for righteousness is found where? Old Testament. So these concepts, it's, it's always been the same. God looks at Jesus Christ as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God always was looking for that body. So through our God being eternal, he was able to see Jesus Christ before that time of 2,000 years ago in our timeline. Prior to that, Jesus was the one, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The immutability of our God. He always looked at salvation. And there's a list of things that you could stop and look at that are those important doctrines that are always the same. Always the same. 
in that person of Jesus Christ, when you look at where this phrase, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever, when you look at this text, he's about to talk about his sacrifice again. He's about to talk about his blood and the offering, the altar, which is Jesus Christ, the whole list, talking about him again, just as Hebrews is established over and over and over again, that he is our high priest. He is after that order of Melchizedek. He is the, the one that fulfilled all of those Old Testament sacrifices. He is our tabernacle. And tonight we're going to see he is our altar. He is our all in all. Everything fulfilled from the Old Testament. So Jesus Christ has always been and always will be the supreme only sacrifice that God would ever look at and to say, that pleases me. That's why God says in two places, He is our propitiation. He is our mercy seat. He is the one that that concept of the blood and the application of the blood to not appease God, <clears throat> but to absolutely please God to the fullest. Our works, other people's religions could never fulfill what Jesus Christ fulfilled on the cross and through the resurrection. He is the one, the consistency, immutable, always there, eternal. Now, verse 9. So he tells us, be not carried away about with diverse or different and strange doctrines. Hmm. Doctrines. Are doctrines important? Yes, they are. Our, uh, I was talking to, to Pastor Nate before the service. and well, Let me not use that illustration. But he is, he, he's, he's got some people that need to talk to him about why we won't join in with the group. And uh, he said, well, we don't believe even closely to the same. And it's like, oh, we're just there to get people saved. And he goes, yeah, and after they get saved, where are they going to go? They're going to go all these places that's all mixed up, and they're going to be losing their salvation, they're going to gain their salvation, they're going to have to get a second blessing, they're going to be speaking in tongues, and they're going to be da da The whole list goes on. These kids, after they get saved, where are they going to be taught? Where are they going to go? He goes, I'm not going to be part of that. We want to see kids saved too, but it's not just the salvation, it's the follow-up. And what are they going to be taught in the doctrine? And the guy says, I want to talk to you again. No one has ever, ever said that what I'm doing isn't right. And I want to talk to you again. Our, our assistant pastor has some guts. He's not afraid to stand, stand up for doctrine. And, uh, but this happened to me. I, was telling, I said, there's this gal come in, and she said, we're having this you know, wonderful ecumenical group, we're going to do puppet shows and this and that. I said, well, who all is getting involved? And she said, well, everybody's going to get involved. I said, well, tell me who's everybody. She went through the whole list of the denominations. Over. I said, I, I can't do that. And she goes, well, why not? I said, because we don't agree on doctrine. After we're, we're done with this whole thing, um, you know, she told me where she went, and she was into the charismatic and speaking in tongues and rolling and smacking people on heads and her passing out and everything. And I said, so you're going to be sending the kids to that. I said, I'm not going to have any part with that. She goes, well, I'm upset about that. I said, listen, ma'am, do you understand why we disagree? She goes, no. I said, do you have a half hour? And she said, yes, I do. I said, will you allow me to explain to you why we don't have, as you guys are talking about this day and age, the tongues and so forth, because what was happening in Acts 2 had nothing to do with what's going on today. And she said, I'd be glad to hear. And she listened for the entire half hour. And we went through verse after verse, showing, right drawing from it, what was happening, who it was for, what was the purpose, everything. And she just sat back, she goes, I have never heard anything like that before. And I'm like, thinking, 
There it is. So what are you going to do with it? And she walked out with no change. And it's because doctrine isn't important, but what I feel is important. My experiences are important. Folks, doctrine is important. We're to study to show ourselves approved unto God, not man, but unto God. And we need to be workmen that are able to rightly divide the word of truth, right? You know, we, we know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for what? Doctrine. The first thing in that great list is the importance of what we learn. Now, follow me. It's not what we believe about God, but what God tells us to believe. You see the difference? It's not what I make up based on my working through, but rather a drawing, an exegetical drawing out study of what exactly is God trying to say. And so doctrine is vitally important. Let's see a couple verses. Look at Ephesians with me. Chapter number 4, verse 14. Ephesians 4, 14. Here he says that we, that's the Christian, henceforth be no more children. Now follow me. God is not belittling the faith of children in this verse. But what he is saying is that there, when you look at children, there is yet an immaturity of being able to develop. They can't, in other words, they are ones being taught. They're not the educators. Now we learn from children. You know, I'm not, God's not littling children here in any way, but we have to understand, um, uh, you know, Micah's not up here preaching. You follow me? My, my grandson, he's not up here preaching. He's not ready. He's a child yet. He's, he's not developed these things. And he says, let us not be children that are tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, the new thing, you know, that's out, and by the slight of men... The, 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 just how they play and work on people, the cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to do one thing, to deceive. They're drawing people after themselves and so forth. And so God is saying, listen, we have to be careful that, that when the newest book comes out with this brand new thing that nobody's ever heard before, that's when you've got to have spiritual antennas that go up. If somebody comes up with something brand new that nobody's ever come up with before, think about that. They're looking at a lot of ages, a lot of people, that a lot of books, a lot of preachers. How could they not have come up with the same concept? Careful, careful with, I got something brand new. When a preacher gets up and says, I'm going to teach you something you've never heard before, well, there's nothing new under the sun. The Word of God is still the same. And we have to be careful of, of why. Man, I had this one guy. Man, he messed our church up at Bible Baptist. Oh, did he mess. He goes, I've studied this out for years and years. And I'm coming up with something that I know this is going to take you by surprise. And it's going to shock you as I begin to teach this. But I want you to listen. So he preached for who knows how long. Hour, hour and 15 minutes on the degrees of heaven. And looked at the overcomers. And if you are not an overcomer, then you aren't technically really in heaven the way you might be able to get in heaven. So basically your heaven is like down here, but my heaven is going to be like way up here. And I'm, I, literally the entire church flooded the aisles 
people were like getting saved all over again. I mean, they were so confused with this new thing that they thought, well, I don't want to just you know, get one foot into heaven. I like want to be all there. And they're like, I'm, I'm trying to get, and it was, it was the most confusing thing. So the preacher actually had to get up the next week, go to John, 1 John and say, listen, who is he that overcomes? It says, but he that believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. <laughs> well, that makes it kind of easy now all of a sudden, doesn't it? So you are an overcomer because you believe in Jesus. That's the simplicity of the gospel I'm not saying that the Word of God and the doctrines of God are not deep. They most certainly are. But the fundamentals that we have as our main doctrines, we cannot deviate from those important doctrines. Because it messes everything up. Actions follow doctrine, right? And the list goes on. I'm sidetracked. Okay. Let's go back to Hebrews. There's other verses, but you, you got the point. I'm preaching to the choir tonight. You got her down. So what he does say, though is don't be carried away with these strange doctrines. Do you know cults start like all the time in America and all around? Um, yes. I'm sorry? Yeah, trust me, it's all over. Uh, cults start in all... They had had years ago a statistics of how many hundreds and hundreds of cults started in America in a given decade. How many new ones came? By the way, they came and, they, and then they went. You know, it's not like something that was consistent, but this new group, these new czars of, of this religion would come up and they begin to uh, lead their flocks and, you know, just, just strange. So he says, it is a good thing thou that, that the heart be established with what? Grace. Now we understand with grace is God giving you and I something we don't really deserve, Right. So God begins to give this, extend this grace. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourself, right? Second Corinthians 12 concept is that grace for the Christian is when we see and experience that grace, it's when we are weak, right? And then that grace gives us that ability to get through. It's grace for life. But here, this grace, what he's talking about is now that we're saved, it is very possible that our hearts would go away, almost pull away from what we've experienced or actually should know by faith about the grace of God, the grace of Christ, and to be pulled away and to go back into legalism or back under the things of the law. And you say, why would people ever want to go back under the law? Pride? Look what I've done? The Pharisees were full of that, were they not? Just lifted up full of pride as the one man stood in a temple and said, Boy, am I glad I'm not like a sinner like this guy. I'm glad I give tithes, and I'm glad I do this, and I do that, and I'm not like this horrible sinner down here. And he walks away thinking, Man, I convinced God of who I am. And God says he walked away a sinner, unrighteous. And this guy on his knees smites his chest and says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And it says he walked away what? A righteous man. In, in, in religion is our ability to prove to God how good we are. And God says, no, it doesn't work that way. I'm looking for Jesus in you. I'm looking for Christ. I'm looking for the cleansing that comes from the blood. That's the only thing that is capable of washing away our sin. That's the establishment of grace. Is that it is, we are saved by grace. We are kept by grace. It is by His grace. We will never deserve heaven. We will never work enough to say, I now qualify 
It is the gift, always has been the gift, and always will be the gift that God has given to us. So this whole thing of establishing of grace, then he goes and says, and not with meats, and not profit them that have been occupied thereby. You say, what in the world is he talking about? Meats. What does, well, let's, let's look at a couple verses. <clears throat> Let me show you a couple places that deal with the thoughts of those who would put Jesus to the side and then will put themselves under the law. Let's look at the mindset. Look with me to Matthew and 15, first of all. And we're going to look here at verses 1 and 2. Matthew 15, verse 1. Then came Jesus to the scribes and Pharisees, with which were at of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. <clears throat> if there's anything you can pick on, person, is they don't wash their hands. Now you look at this and you think, is, is that honestly the deepest thing that the Pharisees could come up with to attack the disciples of Jesus Christ. They failed to wash their hands. Now, does anybody here like it when you're out working outside and come in and eat and don't wash your hands? You understand? We, we wash, don't we? We do wash our hands. And we understand this concept. It's like really filthy, if, you know, depending especially what you're doing outside, you know, when you're coming in and you're getting ready to eat. And you have to understand, they don't always have the you know, utensil, utensils that we have to eat. And a lot of times it is with your hands. In India, you use your hands. You wash before you eat. And everything, the rice and all of the gravies and the chickens and all those wonderful things, the curry. I love curry over there. I gained 10 pounds that week. Uh, Mrs. Reddy fed me so well. But everything was by hand. You just, by, with your fingers. And it took a couple days. It was really hard. You're mashing. This is what you do on your plate. And you're just mixing it all together. And then you start eating it like this. And wow, it's like, you know, you do. You just get, but you just smile and you eat it. And then you wash your hands and you wash your hands again after you're done. And then, you know, you're, you're ready for... And, and these guys are eating without washing their hands. <laughs> Look at verse 10, 11. Uh, he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand... Not that which goeth into the mouth defiles a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Look down at verses 19 and 20. For out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands... Defiles not a man. That doesn't mean a man is an absolute sinner because he forgot to wash his hands. This is the mindset that we're trying to create and to show you when people leave the grace of God and to be going into the mindset of what we do, the meat, what you take in, and they're thinking this is what's defiling, this is what my religion is based on, is the outward, then that, he says, is definitely going to defile. Um, <clears throat> I don't have time, but those who know the word, you'll remember the 1 Corinthians 8 text. And there again, <clears throat> he establishes what we eat. There were 
meats that were offered to idols. You remember that text? And some people who were weak could say, I'd never, ever, ever eat meat that had been offered to idols, even though it is cheaper. That's how I always look at it, probably cheaper. You know, you're going down to market and like, hey, here's some meat over here. How much is that? Two bucks a pound. And then you go down here and it's blessed and it's not been to the idols. And so you over there, it's $4 a pound. And you, you know, you and I walk by, I'll take the $2 a pound. And you're, and you're just eating it. But a weak person would say, don't you know where that came from? They were doing altars and sacrifices and they brought the meat out from that. And they think, I can't eat that. And those who are stronger would say, like the meat is possessed with a devil or something? Did like an evil spirit creep into the veins of this animal and are they now defiled? Give me a break. It's two bucks a pound. I'd be glad to have it. You know? And then others are going down. It's like, I could never eat that. I'll pay $4 a pound for my meat. And they'll eat that because it came from a different place that hopefully wasn't you know, a place of, of altered, of altars and so forth. And so you look at the strength and, and the weaknesses. And so in the text, what he says is, listen, if this is, if me going here and buying this meat for two bucks a pound is going to offend a brother or cause him to stumble and fall, I'm not going to buy it. Matter of fact, he says, I'm not even going to eat any meat. The thought is, meat is not what it's about. It's food. It's all it is. But the mindset is different. And it crept into the church, this whole problem with meats. You'll remember Timothy, the first Timothy 6, I think, where he talks about the, the different the offering, uh, the, uh, the meats and so forth. And he says, listen, everything is now allowed to you. It's all been blessed by the Word of God and by prayer. So we can take those meats and we're able to eat those things. But the key is Colossians 2. And then we'll, we will have made our point. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16. And in this text, so you know I'm not taken out of context, uh, you'll see again, this is talking about Christ dying, taking care of the ceremonial laws because they are abolished, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. He nailed it to his cross, verse 14, then verse 16. Let no man therefore, as a result of, of our victory in Christ... Let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of a new moon, or of Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body is of Christ. So the kingdom, what we know of as the church, is not about what we eat, what we drink, those type of things. So I'm not saying that, you know, uh, drunkenness and so forth, God is clear about you know, drinking, uh, the alcohols and so forth. But what he's saying is, don't let a man judge you in what you are consuming, because as Jesus said, it's not what's coming in, it's not what you're eating, it's what comes out of your heart. That's what defiles, what actions come out from inside of man. And these people are so... When we leave the grace of God, we begin to be like the Pharisees that judge everybody by what they do or what they don't do. And is it meeting up to my caliber, to, to, to my list, my little checklist, did they do this, did they not do this, did they do this? And they go through the checks, and if they check up with all of their traditions, then they're a good person. <clears throat> um, this is our checklist. Okay? The Bible. Not... The traditions of men. Not what man makes up. It's what God has made up. 
And for some of us, you know, we have to work through this. As I mentioned this morning, as, especially as we get older, it may be that we need to remind ourselves to be established with grace and not by the letter. Because verse 10, he tells us, back to Hebrews 13, if you're not there. Verse 10. We that are established with grace, the doctrine from the Word of God, we have an altar. We have an altar. What do you think God means? We have an altar. Well, it tells us whereof they, that will be the legalists, those who have left the grace of God, have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. The place of the altar, the place where there was eating that took place, it was the place of fellowship, it was a place of sacrifice, again, that would be a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as they, in the Old Testament, would take care of the tabernacle, and there were the priests, and they would eat, and so, and so forth. And it says that there, that there was the, the altar, etc., the brazen altar. He says, we have an altar. Is it a physical altar? No. He's teaching by way of symbolism here that we have an altar. And if you look at the book of Hebrews, you can figure out who our altar is. It's Jesus Christ. He is our brazen altar. He is the altar of incense. He is all in all. Okay, So we have this altar. It's that place of fellowship. It's about him, and we'll talk more about that. But they, it's interesting, who have not come to God through this grace, but instead have come by meats and what they do, what they don't do, that legalistic, that I justify myself. He says they have no right to eat. They have no fellowship at all. With God, because they, it's like the Pharisees, they're on their own. Now, we know um, Nicodemus, we really believe that he, as a Pharisee, became a Christian. And it wasn't that a Pharisee couldn't get saved. We even, the Apostle Paul, the Pharisee of Pharisees, became a believer in Jesus Christ. But many of them were about killing Jesus. Hating him because what they were teaching the people seemingly were drifting or leaving the law and coming under some type of a New Testament. Yeah, Jesus says, This is a New Testament of my blood, not the blood of a bull, not the blood of a lamb, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And it's because of this, they, they just hated him and to the point of death. And there was never a fellowship. Remember in 1 John 1, he says, If we walk in the light, and Jesus is the light, the light of the Word of God, if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Christ is what gives us a fellowship. Um, we got to keep moving. Look at verse, verse 11. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned without the camp. Let's keep reading, and then we'll go to the Old Testament. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people, notice, with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, 
unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Let's go to the book of Exodus, and let's see this mentioned. We're going to Exodus in 29. While you're turning there, in the life of Jesus, um, especially Gospel of John, you'll see much of the teachings of the great I Am. I mentioned we're going to be learning them down the road uh, on Sunday mornings. But um, much of his teaching was there and illustrating things within the temple and explain to the people, that's me. I am the light. It goes on and on. And so... So as he is teaching them in the temple, he's right there in Jerusalem. But when, when he died, he had to bear his cross, go down, as we call it, the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering, and he was taken outside of that perimeter, that, those gates, and it was there on Mount Calvary is the place that Jesus actually died. But folks, I want you to understand... Uh, to me, the depth of what God is trying to say that Jesus died without the camp or outside of the camp. Remember how it was His blood that was shed. That blood and the application of the mercy seat would have been inside the temple at that time period. The priests would have taken the blood and they would have dabbed on the altars inside the perimeter. That's what you have to have in your mind, the blood applied within. But let me show you what was taken without the camp. And I want you to remember that Jesus was taken outside. Now let's read it. We're in Exodus 29 and verse 14. Actually, let's, let's see the background here. Verse 11. And thou shalt kill a bullock... Before the Lord, by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and thou shalt take of the blood of the bullock, and put it upon the horns of the altar with thy finger, and pour all the blood beside the bottom of the altar, inside, of course, the camp. You're you're following this. And thou shalt take all the fat that covereth the inwards. Gets pretty graphic here, ladies. Sorry, (laughs) but this is the Bible. And the call that is above the liver, the two kidneys, and the fat that is upon them, and burn them upon the altar. Stop. So everything so far that was taken from the animal to be sacrificed to God on the altar was within. Now verse 14. But number one, the flesh of the bullock. Number two, his skin. Number three, his dung. The manure shalt thou burn with fire without the camp. It is a sin offering. It's as though the flesh, now follow me, the flesh is that which is symbolic of the sin of man. So the bullock, the skin, and the flesh that was the perimeter, the outside, was that picture of sin. Take it outside of the camp. This is a sin offering. The blood, the important parts, that which is valuable, we keep them within. But the garbage, 
the manure, the dung, get that out. That which represents the flesh, the sin, get it out and burn it outside of the camp. Jesus was viewed by Jews as the most detestable, horrible villain of a man, worthy only to be nailed to a cross outside of the temple, outside of it all. He was looked at as the disgraceful sinner. That's why Jesus was drugged outside of Jerusalem, outside of the temple area. Take him out, that rotten sinner. Jesus died without the camp. That's humbling, isn't it? Look at chapter 33 of the same book. Chapter 33, verse 7. And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp. Now, now think about this. So here's the, the, the setting where they're at. And now outside of the camp, he's taken and, he, and, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. It came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. Here is that again is another principle that God even took from away from where the people exactly were were, were camped at and said, I'm going to take the, the tabernacle, the place where God would, would dwell. Remember, inside of the Holy of Holies, it, they would have that pillar and they would know that the presence of God was there. The mercy seat was established and the priests, and such, everything was flowing. And they would know and if there was time that they wanted to get a hold of God, they would have to leave and they would have to exit and to go outside of the camp to get a hold of God without remember Jesus is our tabernacle he is the presence of our God and he is separate he is outside now let's go back to our text Hebrews verse 11 for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned, burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, because he was the burnt offering, also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Now here's, here's the challenge then to us. Let us go, because Christ is our example, let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp. Notice this phrase, bearing his reproach. Uh, I like when people like me. Don't you? We want people to like us. I try, I'm, I'm a nice guy, you know. I'll give people mints every once in a while, you know. I'm a nice guy. I don't like people to like me. Um, nobody on purpose, if they have any kind of a brain at all, uh, wants to on purpose offend people and make enemies. But when we live the Christian life, when we share our faith, when we stand on our convictions, we are sometimes looked at 
as dirt. We're looked down at because of our dogma, because of our doctrines, because of what we believe about Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And there's only one way to heaven, and, and Christ is the only way to heaven. And we preach the gospel, and, and there are times that we are despised as a result of our faith. It is as though we are being separated from them all. Taken out just like that skin, that flesh, that manure. Just as Christ was looked at as, as a reproach and taken out. There will be times, folks, that we will be separated. And if you will, kicked out. Looked at as unworthy to be inside. Just garbage get them out and God says don't be afraid to uh, take the very same reproach that Jesus went through that we could go through the exact same thing can I balance us that's why I mentioned at the beginning here of of this part what I did I've been I've been around a lot of uh, apologize if you don't like the word but weird Christians I've been around really weird people. And it's almost like they would brag when when they were causing people they worked with or family members or whoever to get mad at them. It was almost like they caused fights through what they believed. Listen, trust me, the fight's going to come your way. You don't have to pick it. We're to have our speech seasoned with salt. The gospel is to be attractive, not appalling. The Savior fed, ministered, helped, healed to the very end. I mean, the guy that Peter cuts his ear off in the garden, what does Jesus do? He heals his enemy. To the very end, Jesus was reaching out to these people. The last miracle that I see recorded before Christ's death is healing his enemy. That's the spirit by which we govern ourselves, the spirit of grace. That which is trying to help and to to influence for good. But trust me, there will be days and there will be times that that good is not welcomed. That man will begin to look at you and they'll want to spit in your face and hurt you because of what you believe. And when that comes, just remember, it is a joy. Count it all joy. First Thessalonians, joy of the Holy Ghost was upon them when they were persecuted as as young Christians. And so we would joy stop. And as they said. They glorify God. Because the, the God counted them worthy. To be persecuted. That's when we stop and say. It's here on my life now. You know what you got to remember. If Jesus went through. This type of reproach. Why shouldn't we? Why wouldn't we? And like I said, it's not because we're mean, nasty, bad-spirited, angry people. It's because we love them 
and will be there for him. And as he came unto his own and his own received him not, we're sometimes going to go to our family and friends and co-workers. And we're going to go to them. And some are going to just literally axe you off. They're just going to cut you right off. One of the guys I did a lot of drinking with before I was a Christian, weekends we were gone. And I became a Christian. It had been probably a year or two after that that um, I had seen him. I was going through a drive through at McDonald's, and he came over to me. He said, hey, man. I said, how are you doing? I said, good. He goes, hey. First thing out of his mouth, he goes, hey, we need to go tie one-on sometime. First thing he said, we need to go get drunk. And I said, you know, I don't, I don't drink anymore. I don't get drunk anymore. It's the first thing I said to him. And that was all he said. He literally turned around and walked away from me. And that was it. What did I say? What did I do? I mean, it wasn't saying it in arrogant, oh, I'm better than you. I was just making a fact that I don't get drunk anymore. And, um, and there's times when we talk about the right that we do, it's going to be absolutely appalling and, and sometimes convicting to the world. And it may come across that I'm better than you, but we better not try to do that because we're not. We're sinners. They're just saved by grace. And we're trying to show them the new life in Christ that we have. And they're not going to like it. Marvel not that the world hate you because it first hated him. Right? Father, we've had a chance to really dig into some powerful verses here. We've been able to see, Lord Jesus, the, the disgrace that was placed upon you, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the one that we will all bow down before someday. And man looked at you as a horrible person here on this earth. And yet you came to seek and to save that which was lost. Lord, may we understand this concept sometimes of ourself that the world is not going to always like us. Matter of fact, they may hate and despise us. And when this disgrace comes upon us, may we take it with the right spirit, the spirit of Christ. Forgive us where we fail you in this area. Lord, help us to, as we have learned, to have our hearts established with grace, not with meat, not with the law, not with legalism. Lord, that can be lifting us up with pride. Help us, Lord, to keep you first. And bless our church, Lord. And forgive us where we fail you. Search our hearts, Lord, during this invitation. For it is yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.